Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Epic Classroom Podcast. My name is Trevor Muir and I've been a middle and high school teacher as well as a teacher of future and current teachers and I love a good story. And I love to explore ways to help students live out great stories and for their educators to thrive in their own. And that's what we talk about on this podcast. Whatever you teach or however you serve in schools, how can you lead a more impactful, dynamic, meaningful, and epic classroom? All right. Well, thanks for uh, tuning into episode 29 of the podcast. Uh, I am recording here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where it's really kind of just not the prettiest weather this time of year. I mean, it's February in the northern Midwest, and it's quite chilly out. And, you know, one of the things I get to do with my uh, with my professional time in life is I, I, I periodically leave where I live and get to go to other cities and places to be with educators and to share some ideas and stories and all that good stuff. And, and, and my, and I mean this, my favorite part of that aspect of my life is that I get to be with incredible people. That's, I mean, that is absolutely the thing that fills my cup more than anything else. But also as a, as a seven on the Enneagram, somebody who loves to just soak up all that you can from life. I also love the opportunity to get to go to different towns and cities and places across the country and sometimes even the planet. And I just love getting to go away and just be in other places and then come home and tell my friends about it I like I, and my family about it. I love that aspect of work. And so when I had a speaking engagement in February, I was like, all right, here we go. We're, we're, we're going to leave this frozen tundra of Michigan for a bit and go somewhere a little bit different. And so this time it was in Ithaca, New York, the Syracuse, New York area. And I was like, you know what? It's still in the north, but it's not Michigan. So I'm looking forward to that. And so I got to Syracuse, New York. And when I woke up one of the mornings that I was there last week, it was negative 11 degrees and the wind chill was negative 25 degrees like I stepped outside in the morning to go to the school and my my any exposed skin was just burning and hurting and 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 there was 40 mile an hour wind and it, there was white out blizzard conditions and all I could think was this doesn't feel great and so I, I'm so I don't mean to start out on a negative note but I'm a this, this time of year gets me a little whiny about the weather, and I thought maybe we could commiserate together before we dive into everything else. I got to say, though, I love being with those teachers over there in upstate New York. They were lovely and incredible, and I can't wait to return. I'm just hoping that the next time they want me to return is in June rather than February. Uh, so anyway, I haven't had a break from the cold in a little while. Um, and so if you just want to send me a sunny little email uh, finding a way to perk me up because this cold's starting to eat away at my spirit a bit, I, I'd appreciate that. But uh, no, it's all good in the hood. Life is good. I feel like I'm thriving right now. And so I just, uh, I'm just getting a little weary of the weather. That's all it is. So I want to tell you a little story um, and then talk about how it connects with everything that we're, of the point I'm going to hopefully try to make. I, I have been hearing from teachers all over and I've seen it myself 
that student engagement is something that's kind of hard to come by right now, right? Like getting students who are just absolutely fascinated by what they're learning and interested in being in the classroom and okay with the grit and the grind of school and engaging in it, uh, th that's hard to come by, especially in this post-COVID landscape. And we can talk about all the reasons why, but I think we all know them. I think the reality is, though, is that getting students to be invigorated in the classroom and eager and, and, and do all of the things that we know they're capable of, it's not coming easy. And so I want to spend some time today, and this is pretty much all I ever talk about, but I'm going to specifically talk today about one of the very best strategies I've ever learned, and then I've read so much research that confirms what I've learned about how to really boost student engagement, getting them engaged in the content learning, but then also in the skill development, their social development, their emotional development, their cognitive, their behavioral development, all of that can be wrapped in into this strategy that I'm going to share today. Um, but first, a story. So I was, I once invited a refugee from Rwanda to be a guest speaker for my class. Now, I, I guess I should give you a little background first. I had a group of students who were really, really difficult, like, and, and, and it wasn't that they were I don't know, we'll use the word bad. It wasn't, it wasn't that they, it was just behavior. It, it was their lack of effort in the classroom. I just, there was so much apathy with them and, and feeling, you know, to get them to do a very small task felt like it was just like this huge hurdle they had to, to overcome. And, and it was just so much effort on my part to get them to participate. And so like I had this challenging group of students and, and I wasn't sure exactly what I could do to get them to light up and engage in class. But then this learning experience that I was really excited about came about and it really shifted things with these students. So I once invited a refugee from Rwanda to come and be a guest speaker for this class. And, and this woman, her name is Beth Lisa, and she shared how she lost her entire family in the Rwandan genocide. And she was forced to live in a refugee camp for 17 years with no running water or electricity. And then she told my students, one day she was put on an airplane and without the slightest clue where it was going to land, ended up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in January. And, and as I just spent the last three minutes whining about, it's very cold here in January. And this woman from Rwanda had never heard of snow before. You know, she had very little connection with the outside world in this refugee camp. And she lived in a part of the planet where there's no thing, no such thing as snow. And so she'd never heard of snow before. You know, she, she described in my class, she thought there was a volcano nearby and that this weird white stuff falling from the sky must be some type of strange cold ash. She never heard of it. And so she definitely didn't know how to dress for cold weather. And, and she told my students she didn't know how to use simple household appliances. She was told by a social worker that you have to get on something called a bus to go to something called a library to use something called a computer to get something called a job. You know, and she told my students the first time that she ever got on a city bus, she didn't know how to signal to get off of it. And so she was stuck on that bus for eight hours until it got to the very end of the route and the driver made her get off in January during a snowstorm, right? Like the, the, this guest speaker was new to Grand Rapids. She was new 
to America. She was new to so many technological advances and social norms. It was, it was all new, and assimilation was like this intense struggle. And my students were learning about this struggle for the very first time from her. And so when she left that morning, after kind of just sharing her story, nothing much more than that. When she left that morning, uh, I remember one kid in the class, his name is Damien. And I remember Damien raised his hand and he goes, this is kind of stupid. And I was like, what's stupid, Damien? He goes, well, it's just stupid that nobody showed her how to use the city bus. I ride it all the time and it's not that hard. And I was like, well, that is a nice, strong opinion to start the day. However, you're kind of right. I was like, yeah, I guess that is kind of stupid. Why isn't anybody showing her how to use the bus? Damien, could you show people like our guest speaker how to use the bus? And I kind of saw the same sentiment around the room. Kids' eyes were lighting up about ideas of what they could do to serve people like our guest speaker, to serve refugees in our community. And so we put our heads together, we did some brainstorming, and truthfully, I already did a lot of brainstorming before this. I kind of had a whole unit project plan set in place, but I didn't tell students that. I brought in this guest speaker to introduce a problem to them, and I kind of spread some breadcrumbs and gave them some resources, and eventually we landed on what we were going to do, which again, which was already kind of planned, but students used inquiry to plan essentially the same thing. I led them down a road for them to decide we are going to do something about this, that it's not okay that there are refugees in our community who are, who are struggling with very simple things that we can do something about. And, and my students, freshmen in high school, can physically do something about this. So let's do it. And so for the next month, while my students were learning about the Industrial Revolution and concepts like modernity, you know, these are concepts that I was going to teach anyway in my class. I'm a, you know, I was a history English teacher at this time. This was a cross-curricular course where my goal was for my students to learn this content, these content standards by the end of my class. They're going to be assessed on them. This is still school. They have to learn this academics. Well, I found a way to tie this, this content, the subject matter of the Industrial Revolution and, and expository writing and my other content standards, I found a way to tie that together with this purposeful problem that students were now introduced to. And so while they learned about the Industrial Revolution, they were also, we decided we we're gonna create tools to help refugees better assimilate into our city. And so for the next month, while we were doing all of this learning, we were taking that learning and we were applying it and connecting it, the context of it, with creating things like flashcards on how to use modern household appliances. And, and the group of students who made these flashcards, they had them translated to Swahili because they heard from our guest speaker. That was the language that she spoke when she arrived in America. And, they all, and she also shared that she spoke French and Arabic. And so they had their flashcards translated to these different languages. I had one group of students create a cookbook for simple dinner ideas. <laughs> and so like, it was like, here's how you fry an egg. Here's how you boil ramen. Here's, here's how you can make oatmeal. These simple things that we might know how to do because we take for granted how easy it might come to us because we were raised among it. But maybe that isn't the case for a group of people who are coming from a developing nation. And so they made cookbooks. Another group made a how-to video, and this group was headed by that student, Damien. This group made a how-to video for how to use the city bus system.
Right. And, and at the end of the project, after they made these products, the students presented their products, their tools, to an actual group of refugees and social workers from a local social work agency. They presented their tools with the hope that if they're good enough, if, if the, the panel that's reviewing their presentations deem them excellent, useful for their program, they could actually use them in their program. It, it, they could actually use it to serve refugees in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And, and that's exactly what happened. They, they, the students presented their stuff, and to this day, those flashcards are still being printed and laminated and placed in apartment buildings in Grand Rapids for incoming refugees. I remember when that group of students uh, presented their how-to video for using the public bus system. The panel, they, they watched the video, the students did their presentation on it, and, and I remember they were like, oh, you know what, we're actually doing a workshop tonight for a new group of refugees on how to use public transportation. Is there any way you all would be willing to burn this to a DVD so we could take it with us today and use it in tonight's workshop? And my students were like, what's a DVD? <laughs> but I mean, they, they used it. They, they took what they created in history English class, and now it's being used to serve people like our guest speaker in our own community. You know, it, it's, it's actually purposeful. They were solving a problem that mattered. You know, the students were successfully collaborating together to achieve this common goal. This group of students who gave very minimal effort up until this point of the school year were now all of a sudden working. They were learning how to present and publicly speak so that the professional panel would accept their products that they created. They were solving problems and being forced to think outside of the box. However, the students were also putting that same amount of energy into the expository essays that I assigned for this project. I mean, this was still school, and there was still academic work to complete. But now the engagement created by the authentic work, you know, the, the, the problem solving they were doing, that authentic real world work, that the service work, the act of using their empathy for our guest speaker and using that empathy to drive their effort, that effort was also carrying over into that more traditional school work. Students could identify the connection between the service work and the academic tasks. This integration, it wasn't seamless. You know, I, I wasn't able to always perfectly connect what we were learning in the content and the books we were reading and the essays they were writing with this, this authentic task with the refugees. But the connection was there. And that connection was enough to inspire deeper engagement with reluctant learners. And, and so this is an example of what you might call project-based learning rooted in service learning. At its core, service learning is about making learning for your students authentic and connected to a cause bigger than themselves. Students who may have not been interested in grades which, by the way, is a lot of students, myself included. I was never somebody who was super fired up about getting the highest grade, and I know I'm not alone in that. So kids like me, students who were not interested in grades, were interested in solving an authentic problem in their community. There, there was an extrinsic motivator pushing them towards strong work, right? Like there was the carrot was serving this group of people. That was pushing them towards strong work. But they also had this intrinsic motivation 
that came from their own empathy, right? Like they were being driven by this natural human desire to serve others, right? Like it feels good to help other people. It, it, it makes us better. It makes us feel better. It makes them better. It, it, it has ripples in our community. It's a good thing to serve others. And when students are motivated to do that, that motivates them to work harder in school. Research even proves this. Research shows that when students are engaged in purposeful, authentic work, they experience measurable growth in a bunch of different areas. You know, and, and I'll link it into the show notes, but when students are engaged in service learning, they experience measurable growth in their social development, meaning they collaborate better together when they're doing work that actually matters. Their behavioral development increases. They're better behave more easier to manage less classroom issues when students are engaged in purposeful service work. There's also emotional engagement, right? There's less depression, less anxiety, more emotional security when students are doing work that actually matters, which to me, it's like, listen, I love SEL. I love SEL activities. I love strategies on it. I do whole workshops on SEL, love social emotional learning, but I also think one of the best social emotional learning strategies is to give students work that serves somebody else. I mean, yeah, there's a bunch of other things you can do, but one of the best ways to help students connect with the material and grow socially and emotionally and learn at the same time is to give them work that is purposeful and meaningful. That's not just about themselves, but is about something bigger than themselves. And, and so it, students collaborated better they were more behaved, they were more emotionally mature, and they were also learning the content at a deeper level. And this is why having elective classes on service learning or you know community service requirements for graduation these are great things in school i recommend them i you know i i as a high school teacher i loved when students were like hey mr muir can i uh help out with this and get service learning hours or, or community service hours to, in order to graduate it's like yeah i love that 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 is a social good schools do or you know we had an elective class at, at a high school i taught at that was a service learning class students one hour a day were doing service projects love it. Why would we not love that for our schools and our communities and for our students? So those are great. However, I feel like this research that shows that students develop in, in emotional, behavioral, social ways, but then also cognitive ways, students actually grow more academically when they're doing service work. I feel like that supports the case for incorporating service learning into all subject area classes, right? If purposeful motivation increases student engagement, why would we only save that engagement for elective classes? You know, not only are students developing in a more holistic way, right? They're developing those essential skills that we talk about on this podcast all the time, but they're also gaining proficiency in their academic learning. It heightens that as well. And so to me, it's like, all right, this makes a case for service learning in biology class. This makes a case for service learning in math class and in English class and gym and, and health class. Like, right, this service this component of service should be integrated into everything we do in school for so many different reasons, right? For their, the student's personal benefit, but also, again, for the benefit it has on our schools and our communities. We want a culture around it. And so when students are doing this work that matters, it benefits everyone. So how do we do it? Like what, like how, how, do we, how do we make these connections and give students more of this purposeful work? Well, I think adding authenticity, service work to schoolwork, really comes down to answering three questions. Or maybe it's two questions. Let me think about this. Well, so, so one, 
I think one of the questions we have to ask is what is an authentic problem my students can have a role in solving? So like what, what's, what's something that exists around us that is a problem, probably not hard to identify, that might connect with students, right? Th there's lots of problems out there. All right, I'm gonna pick a problem that might connect with my students. And if I can identify that problem, I've already done a big part of the labor, right? Like, all right, here's my problem. Because then number two is how can we incorporate content learning into solving that problem? So like with the refugee project, I identified the problem, right? And that was from personal experiences. My church was doing work with refugees. I saw this uh, documentary, um, all about refugees struggling, d adapting to American society. And so I was like, all right, there's a problem that I'm fired up about. And what I found as a teacher, the things that I'm most passionate about, it's a lot easier to get students passionate about as well, right? If, there's, if it's something I'm excited about, I can probably do a pretty good job of getting students excited as well. And so uh, that was something that I identified. And so there's a problem. And then number two is how can I incorporate the content learning into solving of that problem? All right, how can this connect to my content standards? And, and so for me, I look at all my standards, I've got my power standards, and I'm trying to identify, are there any themes in here? Is there anything that connects to this real world problem that also exists in my class? And so for this project specifically, I saw the industrial revolution and all of these connections between that history and the stuff I wanted students to learn to this problem, and so I was able to connect those together. You know, and, and so for me, from there, much of the work of this project, this learning experience is the same, except now the learning is being driven by an authentic purpose. You know, for instance, while teaching third grade students about invasive species, and this, this was, a t I think I've told you about this on the podcast before, you know, while teaching third graders about invasive species, a class could organize a community event to remove certain invasive species from a local park, right? Like those are content standards that most third grade teachers have to teach, invasive species, right? To learn about them, we're gonna try to get people to come and help us remove them from a park. There's a connection between a real world problem and the content students are learning. Or, you know, during a short, this is one of my favorite projects I've ever done, during a short story ELA unit, Instead of just having my students write your short stories for a grade book, I had my students write stories that we could send to residents at a retirement home, right? Like um, to me, the problem identified is that there are many elderly people, geriatric community, who are lonely and need some love and community, especially post COVID. And my students can give some love and community by writing them stories. And so now I have this authentic audience. There's this service component. My students are empathizing with them but they're also having to learn ELA content and formatting and, and writing with excellence and imagery and using graphic design and tools like Canva. They're doing all of this content learning and skill development in order to solve this problem, right? Are you with me? Students could use math skills to collect donations for a certain cause. They could use science skills to, you know, I, I, I know an, a chemistry teacher who is teaching his students all about, um, ionic bonds and and so we had his students create soap uh using all of the chemistry principles they were learning they 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 made soap and then they donated it to a, a homeless shelter in the city that we live in right that that was the real driver of the work we're making the soap to serve people 
But in order to serve them well, we're going to have to learn this science. We're going to have to learn the content. And, and so that's really what it comes down to. And obviously, there are best practices on how to plan this type of work. Uh, there, there's some ways that we can get better and better at it. It takes practice on our own to figure out how can I tie in content and make it as seamless as possible so it doesn't feel like, hey, we're learning this content, but then we're doing the service project. How do we tie it all together? Yeah, we can dive deeper into that. And maybe maybe we'll create a little series of this podcast where we really get into some of those best practices. Um, but for now, let's leave it with just this, this reality and, and knowing that's backed up by research, but I can tell you lots of stories, and I bet you could as well, that when students are motivated by something bigger than just their own benefit, Actually, you know what? I'm going to back up. When humans, when all of us have problems that are bigger than just ourselves, right? When we know that what we're doing is bigger than just our own benefit, when, when we know that the work we're doing is not just about a paycheck, paycheck, it's not just about climbing the ladder or getting to the next level, but it's actually benefiting something bigger. It helps all of us engage at a deeper level. Humans are problem solvers. We want to know that we can solve problems that are bigger than ourselves. We are motivated by purpose. And this is why when we can identify it as educators, we work harder and smarter and better. And we love our work and our lives better when we know what we're doing matters. So that works for us as educators. And it's the same for students when they know what they're doing isn't just about their own benefit. It's not just about the grades. It's not just about getting to the next level. It's not just about passing the AP exam or the SAT or, or getting into college, but actually the work I'm doing actually serves somebody. It makes their lives better. It solves a problem that, that I am capable of fixing. When, when students have that motivation, it boosts their engagement. They, they develop more socially and behaviorally and emotionally and cognitively, academically. And so to me, and, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll link some of this research in here, but to me, it's like, all right, we have got to do more of this in schools. And I gotta tell you, friends, I like teaching this way for my own benefit as well. There's something really, really special about leading students to this type of work and seeing them change our own communities and make the world a little bit better. I just love it. I remember getting an email a couple years after we did this project from that social work agency. And uh, it, was, it was from the social worker I worked with. And she said, hi, Trevor. Uh, I know it's been a few years since we chatted. I just wanted to let you know that we still play the how to use public transportation video. We keep it playing on loop in the lobby at our office. So uh, uh, any of our, our, our new clients, our new refugees that are waiting can watch it and learn a little something about boarding the bus. And I'm just like, ugh. That makes me feel good. I, I, that makes me glad that I went through the extra effort of connecting with the community there. Um, and a little bit of extra effort to plan a project like this, knowing that my students, Damien, who, who thought it was quite stupid that nobody showed incoming refugees how to use the bus. It made me, made me really excited that Damien was able to help change people's lives and that the work he was doing wasn't just for some hypothetical future. No, it was about serving people here and now and making the world better now. That is epic to me. So if you want to learn more about that, there's a bunch of ways you can do it. You can check out my book, The Epic Classroom, where I kind of lay out how to plan these type of experiences. If you want to dive even deeper, 
deeper than that, uh, you can go check out my uh, online course, the project, the Epic Project Based Learning Masterclass, uh, where it's videos of me and activities and resources where I really break this down, and it includes a digital copy of my book. So you can check that out. You can also, if you are a school leader or someone who knows who is a school leader who might be able to make it happen, I love getting to travel to schools and conferences and retreats talking about why this is good, but also how can we do it? Um, that, that's one of my greatest joys. That's what I was doing in New York last week, was working with a bunch of teachers in a nice warm room outside of the cold, inside from the cold, uh, just breaking down how do we plan this type of work and how do we do it well. So if you're interested in any of that, you can check out my website, epicpbl.com, uh, where you can learn more about the book, the podcast, or speaking. Um, you can also just check out all my videos on YouTube or on trevormuir.com. Um, so anyway, with all that being said, friends, thanks for the good work you do. Uh, it, it means so much to your students in ways that's really hard to comprehend in the moment. Um, but when you, when, when you get a little bit past it and you hear from what students are doing now, or, or you hear about the impact of their work years later, it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's why the effort was worth it. That's why I did this work. And so I hope uh, you have some energy this, uh, this winter and going into spring uh, to keep thinking of brand new, fresh ways to engage students um, and uh, help them make dynamic changes in their schools, in their communities, in our world, in our society, but also in themselves. So thanks for doing that good work, my friends. My name is Trevor Muir, and this is the Epic Classroom Podcast. We'll, st we'll talk to you next time.